and welcome back to the Monday Morning Preacher. I am your host, Jada Hamby, a member here at First Christian Church, and joining me is... I am Reverend David Clifford, Senior Minister here at First Christian Church. So it may be alarming that you're not seeing our beautiful little faces, but we it's actually all for a reason. We are changing the podcast to be a more professional, traditional um, audio experience rather than video and audio. So with this new format, we have a lot of changes. We hope that you enjoy them. We certainly are enjoying them in all of our new equipment. So let's hop right into it. In today's episode of the Monday Morning Preacher, we are going to be talking a little bit about our church and its history. In this first part of a two-part series, we want to highlight that history is very important to our congregation and our own church's community. In fact, when new members join, we definitely like to enlighten them on our past and history. Um, yeah, so one of the one of the ways we help new members get connected to the congregation at large is by you know um, teaching them a little bit about the church's history, um, and in that way, then we all live into the the same kind of foundation for right. the community right. in, in which we come. And really, in this first part, the history we're going to be covering talks about the founding of the church um, and some of the difficulties that that they had in trying to get that going and some of the challenges and the ways they responded to that. Right, and with this being such a large part of our congregation's community and its identity, this could display some challenges for us. Like, one of those challenges is the fear of getting stuck in it. Yeah, so as, as a minister, you're always trying to help the congregation move into the future, right? Where God is calling us. Um, and at First Christian here in Henderson, part of our identity is rooted in the foundation of our past. And so uh, at risk in that, inherently is getting stuck in the past and not being able to move forward. So we're constantly right. having to manage kind of this tightrope of honoring and recognizing where we come from on the one hand, our faith, our, our history of our faith and our congregation, the foundation of uh, the faith that's been passed on to us from those that have gone before, and at the same time, on the other hand, trying to live into the future and teach the faith to the next generations and become the church that God is calling us to be. We don't believe God's calling us to be the same church we were back in 1840, <laughs> right? And so, right. but by... Focusing on our past, sometimes we run the risk of getting stuck in that. So we're constantly battling that as a, right. as a community. It's one of the challenges for our particular church because our history is so important to us. Um, and we just have to f- figure out how to walk that path. Uh, and the goal is to be rooted in it, but we also want to maintain growth at the same time. And absolutely. that's something that we find ourselves doing. Yeah, and so one of the ways we're doing that is by sharing our history through new technology like the podcast and getting to have conversations with it and being able to post it online so that it's there for future generations to see um, and to kind of figure out how we as a generation right now are using our history and how we make sense of who we are and where we want to go. Right. You want me to start? Yeah, we can start. <laughs> okay. So the what we've done is we've broken our history into two parts. This first part starts from the founding of the church in 1841 and works its way through the Civil War, which ends roughly 1865. Um, and so I'm just going to go through some of that. Jada may jump in and ask me some questions as, as we go. Um, really, my hope here is to just share the story of our church from what I've what I know of it and what I've learned about it and what I've been been told of it. And so this is coming from 
a huge number of different resources that we have at the church. We have um, history that's been uh, compiled by members members over the years. Um, in fact, one of our earliest elders uh, wrote up a little bit of the history as he remembered it and gave it in a, a lecture that he gave to the congregation at one point. And we have his typed up document. And so we have a lot of we we've done a great job here at this congregation of keeping up with some of our history. And so I'd like to just share some of that with you. I want to start out by acknowledging that I'm in no way, shape, or form a historian. <laughs> so um, I did minor in history while I was at Transylvania, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, of course, I find history very interesting and fascinating, but I struggle with dates, so I can't be a professional historian. And I also struggle to interpret the events of our past as a historian would. So I'm coming at you, you know, as a minister, as a theologian uh, with <laughs> history, not as a historian. Right, right. But with all of that disclaimer kind of out of the way, the history of First Christian Church, as Jada shared earlier, is extremely important to our denomination as um, a part of the Christian Church in Kentucky, uh, we our denomination first or Christian Church Disciples of Christ uh, recognizes that Cane Ridge, Kentucky, is a a part of the very foundation of our denomination. So, the Christian churches in Kentucky get to play a part in some of that. The community here in Henderson, um, we're deeply rooted in that community. And then, of course, our current and future congregation are all deeply rooted in this history. So. Most of the history of our congregation gets passed down to us, and it's divided and organized by the tenure of each preacher, pastor, or senior minister, right? So we keep, kind of keep track who was the senior minister at this point in time, and here are the things that happened while they were minister. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, that's kind of how we've kept track of things. Um, instead of going through every single minister, because we've had a lot <laughs> since 1841, right. and trying to, to denote all that, I'm, I've tried to compile it more into kind of a story mode. Um, I'll highlight some of the ministers, some I won't. Some we know more information about than others, right. just by what records we've kept. Um, and so I'll do my best to kind of to do all of that. Um, and I also want to note that sometimes it's a little intimidating as the senior minister to realize that you share this calling with this congregation, with the office that you're in, with the pulpit you preach from, with all of these great ministers of the gospel in the past. So, um, you know, I I get to be one of those on that list now. Um, and so as you study this history, you realize you're a part of that. And my hope would be that the listeners that are joining us would would recognize that membership in our church is similar to that as well, right? All of the names that I'm going to be mentioning, I don't mention a lot of ministers. I mention a lot of people from the congregation. And uh, they they get to play a part in who we are and what we do. And so my hope would be that our congregation can live into that like I live into being a minister at this church. So with that, let me get started. The founding of First Christian Church in Henderson um, is very rocky. <laughs> they go through a lot of starts and stops, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through, hopefully. It starts in 1841. Philip and his wife, I think her name was Nancy. I'm not sure now that I look at the word. I, Nancy might have been his daughter. Philip and his wife, uh, you know, in 1841, they didn't write down any women's names. It was Mr. and Mrs., right? Yeah. So, right. so Mr. Right. and Mrs. Philip Van Bussum felt led to start a congregation in the spirit of the Christian and disciples here in Henderson. So at the time, the Christians um, 
and disciples were two different movements. One followed Alexander Campbell, one followed Barton Stone. We can get into the, all the denominational stuff later. Right. That's not the focus of this. But so there's two different groups and they've they've kind of officially but not technically joined together. Uh, Campbell and, and Stone are working towards the same type of goals, but they still have their own individual individual movements at this point. And so Philip and his wife want to start that type of congregation here in Henderson. Um, my understanding, as best as, as I can make sense of it, is that the way in which a person would join a church at that time period here in Henderson and, and probably across across the country as well is that you had to stand before the congregation and you had to explain to them or describe to them your encounter with God and the Holy Spirit as the way in which God was leading you to join this congregation, right? The congregation didn't want to accept a new member who wasn't called by God to be a member of their church. Right. So you had to get up before the whole church. That sounds kind of intimidating. It's a little scary, <laughs> right, right? right? But it, it's it's also the the time period, right? Right, right. There's, there's this new Christianity, Christianity kind of movement, spiritual movement happening across the country. So people are more free about talking about their faith and their spirituality. Right. And, and so um, it probably wouldn't have been as intimidating at the time, I don't think, but maybe, I don't know. Um, anyways, you had to get up and stand before the, the congregation, and then they, especially the congregational churches, right, like the Baptist, and who, and, and like us as disciples, we become congregational. Um, the whole congregation would vote on whether you could join or not, based off this encounter with God that you described. Right. Well, needless to say, many of those descriptions and those stories became really exaggerated, right? Because we're trying to prove You're that trying to get into I, this. I right. want to get into this community, so right, I'm going right. to maybe fudge the story yeah. a tad or not. Um, and so, anyways, at, at the time period, the Christians and the disciples, they were preaching and teaching a different way to join church. So the requirement to join church wasn't to prove that you believe the same things about God or prove that you had this encounter uh, with God that told you to come to this church. All you had to do was stand up before the congregation and confess Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And that was good enough. Right. And so it was kind of this radical idea about church membership. Well, so Mr. and Mrs. Van Besselen want to start that type of community um, here in Henderson. So they decide we'll start. And they're the first two members, Philip and his wife. That's it. That's so sweet. <laughs> and so here they go. They're re they're ready to do it. Well, it takes a few years to get anyone else to <laughs> want to join with them. And by 1844, we have the next set of members that join. It's a man named William Steele. Um, we're told in the history books that he's a local minister here in Henderson and his wife. And so the memberships doubled, right? Because yeah, went from two to four. Went to two, from two right. to four. I would. You and know, it took them years. It, it, to double it? it 1841 to 44. Okay. Right? Okay. So, right? And if you right. think about it, the, this this is a new... I'm sure it's scary. It's a new way to think about church. I'm sure it has a lot of criticism. And a lot of people, I would say, like to stay true to like their family's church or their... Right. Well, at the, time, at, the, at the time period, right, I would imagine you go to whatever church you grew up in. Exactly. Right? So how exactly. do you start a new church when right. everybody's going to whatever churches they've right. grown up right. in, right? Right. Um, and so anyways, Philip and, and his wife and then William and his wife, they get together, so there's four of them. <laughs> it's 1844 now, and the congregation has doubled in size in 
three to four years. Um, and of course you go, you know, the more years you go by and you're not adding more people, the more discouraged you get. Right. Um, right. at one point, I don't know exactly when it happens. Philip and his wife move away. Um, they go to maybe Chicago. I'm, I'm making this up off the top of my head now, just from stuff I've read, but they, they have to move away for something. I don't know if it's health issues right. or family right. or what they move away from Henderson. Um, and, but they come back shortly after, um, you know, they're not even gone a year, I don't think. And then, and then they come back. And so fast forward from 41 to 1850, it's still Mr. and Mrs. Van Busselm and Mr. and Mrs. Steele. Um, but Henderson starts to grow a lot in 1850. We see a, a lot, Henderson as a community sees a large increase in German population Um, we're right on the river. So we have this river port that ships goods and people and and whatever. Um, we have a lot of tobacco and and coal industries, right? So all of those things are booming at this time in the, the state history. And so we see, we see an increase in, in population. And so by 1852, our four people, four person church sees a a number of Mm -hmm. new additions. Some of those include, Mr. and Mrs. L.W. Danforth, Mr. and Mrs. J. Cabell Allen, and there's some others, but those two names are important in the history of our church, so they're highlighted. Um, And then in 1853, we see the first revival being held for this congregation. Jasper Moss um, is the minister that comes. He holds the revival there. We're told in 53 that 16 people get baptized in the river, at that time, so that's, that's a large number, a significant right? growth, right, right? right? It jumps up all of a sudden, and so the ca- congregation now is numbering around twenty people, um, and they start to meet on Sunday afternoons. They share in communion. So at the time period, you wouldn't hold like a they would call them meetings, right? That was your kind of official worship. You wouldn't mm-hmm. do that without a preacher because you right. need someone to preach the preach the the word. Um, for your church service, but you would do communion still as a right. as a congregation, and and we've talked about in in our pod, previous podcast how important communion is to our church, and so anytime they have a preacher, they'd ha- hold these meetings um, or and or revivals, um, and then when in the in between times when there's not a preacher there, they would still meet for communion. So the twenty or so people start to meet regularly on Sundays for communion. Um, and at some point around this time period, uh, the spot of land that the original church was on is given to them. That's at the corner of Washington and Green Street here in Henderson. There's a bank sitting there now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's right across from McDonald's. Right, right there. Right. Um, and so the originally original church building was there for a number of years. Um, people might remember it. Uh, anyways, so they get that land given to them, and they start building on the land um, really being pushed by Philip Van Bussum, um to get a building built. They start that project in 1854. It takes a while, not a long time. It takes it takes over a year, though, to get the building finished. So in right. the meantime, uh, Jasper Moss, uh, the, the guy holding the revivals and preaching for them, continues to hold these meetings. They get permission from the Methodist church to meet at their church. Um, and at one point in Moss's preaching, he's preaching two times a day for 10 days straight. Oh, my God. Right? 
There's not right. a lot else going on in, in 1854, right, right. so you got to do something. Um, and But soon we're told that the Methodist church asks the group to stop meeting there, right? And we can only speculate as to why. But as a minister, I'm guessing the envy of a group growing in your building is a challenge <laughs> to you. I understand. And I understand. so, you know, Andy's occupying the space for 10 days straight. Oh, yeah. So they can't get anything you done. You can't do anything either. else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, right. Anyway, so they get, kicked, they get kicked out. Right, right. Um, there's a man named D.R. Burbank in town. He owns the tobacco steamery. It's on the corner of Main and Third, we're told. Um, and he cleans up the, the building a little bit for him and says, you can use this building. Well, great. So, great. so they start to do that. That doesn't last too long because they're in a tobacco steamery <laughs> right, and right. the environment isn't conducive for <laughs> <laughs> worship. Right. Right. And right. so they're without, they're without a space to meet, which leads to struggle and, and, you know, I'm sure you lose, you lose members or right? you're not right. getting, getting together. After you took them to that steamery, I'm sure they're not coming back. Yeah. You know we, what I'm saying? I know we were meeting <laughs> in a church, uh, right. but we're going to move to this tobacco, uh, building. Um, don't leave. <laughs> don't leave. Please stay. Yes. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, even today people, Right. struggle you know some people have different and, tastes and what the building should look like or what programs and the you do views are very different then than what they are now so i'm sure there was some viewpoints as to that as absolutely well. absolutely anyways okay so they're, they're homeless again they have this <laughs> plot of land they have right. the a building be, the beginnings made. of a building but that right. takes time and money and and workers and energy right. and right all these things um anyways so I gotta figure out where I am. So a- after that, just dis- after that kind of false start, right? This is false start number two or three or whatever, right? Right. Um, they kind of reorganize. the The co- congregation gets reformed. Uh, they have Mr. and Mrs. Philip Van Bussum, Mrs. Amanda. We don't have a last name for her. Uh, Nancy and Millie Van Bussum. I think those are children of Philip and his wife. Mrs. Jane Cheney. Mr. and Mrs. William Steele, remember he's the local preacher that started with the Van Besselms and his wife. Salem Steele, I'm sure, is a child of theirs. Mr. and Mrs. Robert Layson, Mr. and Mrs. E.G. Hall, Mr. and Mrs. J. Cabell Allen, you'll hear his name uh, a couple times, and then H.C. Kerr. H.C. Kerr becomes an elder with Philip Van, one of the earliest elders in our church with Philip Van Bussel, and he's actually the one that I mentioned at the at the top who wrote out some of the history as he remembered it, and we oh, have really? we have what his he document. typed up right. his document when he gave that. You know, he gave it later when he was in his nineties mm-hmm. uh, for the church, but um, we have that from him. So that's awesome. Uh, it's interesting to to see his name uh, as we go through our history, knowing that we have a document he he provided to us. Right, so. that's crazy. So anyways, by the spring of 1855, the building at Washington and Green Street finally gets completed, mm-hmm. but it's just the building. The interior is not done. They have to do lay the floor. <laughs> They've got a lot left to go. They've got to find right. Uh, pews, right? And most of, the pew, most of the original pews they find are just wooden planks that they kind of put together. I'm sure we're not comfortable, which probably doesn't help you get new members. <laughs> get new members, right. We, we need some cushion or something, <laughs> right. right? So, um, So anyways, 1855, they finally get the building up. Right. Um, right. So they st- remember they started back in 41 with just Philip and his wife 
having this idea and this dream that they want to have this type of congregation in and Henderson. And in 14 years, they've made this much progress. Is that my math right? Is it 14? Uh, sure. I think it's 14. I'm but definitely not a mathematician. If, if I'm not, not a historian, <laughs> if I'm not a historian, I'm definitely not a mathematician. If it's not 14, just ignore that. But they've come a long way. They've right. come a long way. They've come a long way. And We're, it's been a lot of hard work. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and false starts and restarts right. and reorganizations and gaining members and, and losing members. Right. And, yeah, all of that. Um, which, I mean, any church, right, has that. And even modern right. churches have that. But So, anyways, 1855, the building's finally done. It's not much to look at. There's not much there. It's a one-room thing. Um, they'll add on to it over the years um, and whatever. So, and... We are, the documents that we have say that Mr. and Mrs. L.F. Danforth and David N. Walden joined the church around that same time, and Philip Van Bussen, L.F. Danforth, and David Walden are all made trustees of the property. So they, they're kind of in charge right. of the of the building. As soon as you add a building and staff and property, things change for right. a congregation. Right. Uh, We're a little more serious. We can be taken more seriously. Well, and, and it's more work, right? right. You, right. You've got things you've got to take care of and bills you've got to pay and, and all of these things. So. Right. So that takes us up to 1855. Around that... Uh, at the time of the new building getting built, um, we're told that Elder Dick Ricketts and John T. Johnson, which is a name historians will know, he is the brother of Richard M. Johnson, who served as the vice president under Martin Van Buren. Um, and John T. Johnson had his own political career in Kentucky and in I think in the Senate and some other things. Um, and so, but he he was also a minister for the early Christian Church. Um, and so him and Elder Dick Ricketts come and they dedicate the building in 1855 um, together. They lead that service and that uh, that important moment in our church's history. Johnson actually stays on for a couple of years in the area and he serves as minister for the church for really? a few years. That's awesome. Few years. So um, we get to count him in our in our role as as ministers for us. So now they have this new building. The congregation is still really small. Um, and as Johnson leaves to go continue his political career and, and figure out what he's going to do with his life, the church starts to realize things just because you have a building doesn't mean things are rosy and, the and work perfect. Is not done. Right. Right. Um, and so what they start to find is they have no money. They have very little money, you know, and you have a building now, so you have to pay for things and take care of things and, and continue fixing your building up. That's not probably not completely. And how do you pay for How do you staff? pay for all that? How do you employ a minister is the question. And what they, what they start to realize is they struggle to grow in their numbers and get more people to be a part of their community without a minister, but they don't have enough people or finances coming in to pay a minister to do the job. Right. So they're kind of in this you know, double-edged sword. Stand still, thing. right. What do, you, what do we do? Well, so they continue to meet for communion. Uh, they uh, hold church meetings as preachers come through at that time period, especially in our denomination, because the the denomination was starting to get organized and grow. Um, we saw a number of preachers that would ride around um, through different areas and kind of preach for the congregations that were there. Um, and so that was kind of a common a common thing. So it wasn't right. a big deal that they didn't have a minister, but it did present some problems. Um, fast forward to five years to 1860, and we're told by the U.S. Census that happens in 1860 that Henderson is the second richest town per, per capita in the United States. 
So the tobacco industry, the coal industry, um, all of those things make uh, Henderson, Kentucky um, a very wealthy place, right? And so that leads to kind of an influx in in population growth and some of those things. Uh, And it would sound like, oh, that's really good for the church, right? All of this is, is a great thing. All of this is fantastic. The church can use that to its advantage. Uh, but for those that know dates and know right. history, 1860 <laughs> isn't a great time yeah. in the country because this is leading right up to uh, the Civil War, which starts in 1861. So even by 60, the political atmosphere is not good in right. the country because we're... we're and le- how do you navigate a church whenever things aren't good? Right, you're right. So in 1861, Senator Dixon uh, draws a large group in Henderson and advocates that Kentucky either sides with the Union or they practice an armed neutrality, so they be neutral. Um, I believe Kentucky chooses to go neutral. I think that's what they officially officially do. Um, in 1862, George W. Smith, he's a, I don't know exactly what his title is, but we have a diary from his, from the time period of the civil war. And he was a local um, Hendersonian. So um, he notes in his diary that in 1862, that is the first time that Southern soldiers are in the city of Henderson. And he sees, we, he says, we seem to be between two fires as it is now getting dangerous to belong to either party or even to remain neutral. So it's getting it's getting worse. The, the political environment. The is fi- definitely well, getting we're in the middle worse. of war, right, right? Right between the north and the south, and Kentucky's right there, right on the in line, the middle. <laughs> right in the middle of it. Right. Um. You know, and I'm sure people who are and listening. And we have the river and right. the river port, so I'm sure. Right. That's all. all of that. Right. I'm sure people who are listening don't see any connections to today at all. Right. Of these two <laughs> different sides fighting it out, and you right. get stuck in the middle. Um, fast forward to 1864, George Smith writes that A.R. Johnson has issued an order for conscription to all able-bodied white men between the ages of 17 and 45 into the rebel army, only giving us until the 15th to volunteer or skedaddle. Those are your options, according to You can volunteer or you can get out of town. Yeah. So we lead up to the, we're in the, we're in the midst of the civil war right now. Um, the congregation is just dispersed. They're not meeting. It's not really safe to be out in the street. Um, the federal troops come into Henderson. They take over the church building, right? It's a kind of a vacant building. The congregation isn't meeting in it. So they take it over. They use it, um, for barracks. They use it for, to store their horses. They use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, as we get out of the Civil War and the church gets back into the building, there's holes in the walls, there's holes in the floors, the roof, part of the roof is burnt off, the um, windows are knocked out. Right. It's, they didn't even take care of it. No. <laughs> right. no they, well, they were in the middle of a war. They used it for what <laughs> what they needed it for. And, and You could at least not burn down the roof and, or break a window. And move on. So uh, so anyways, we're, we're going to stop here and we'll pick up from here uh, with our next ep- with the next episode, but you know, even after the Civil War, by 1865, the war is over. But the congregation is once again having to reorganize, right. rebuild both physically their building and their congregation. They're in another standstill, right? And then, so it's just another kind of false start that they have to hump and that they have to get over, right. um, and to figure that out. So, I was going to ask the question of. Like, why do you think they had to start, stop so many times? But as we were conversing and listening to the story, it seems that 
they just got faced with a bunch of challenges, like whether it's the time frames or the hardships that they're having to face. Like every time they get somewhere, it seems that they're just getting knocked down again. And I think that's going to prove that they are very strong in the end once we go through more of this. Well, yeah. And one of the, one of the things that's happening, especially as a new denomination is getting formed. I don't think, I don't think the founders of our denomination set out to create a new denomination. That wasn't their goal, right? but that's what happens. Um, And in the time period at the time, there's this kind of revivalist movement happening. And so spirituality or spiritually, the country is seeking to, to be deeper in their faith. Right. Um, and so our, our church kind of gets rooted in that movement. Um, and I, you know, I would, my guess would be if we weren't rooted if that, in that, if, if, if Philip, Van Bussum didn't have that spirit of kind of this pioneer spirit that comes out of that movement, that right. spiritual uh, movement. He would have given up. Oh if, yeah, if not for the sure. first time the church doesn't go the second or third, right, 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 and just walked walked away from it. But he didn't. But he didn't. So um, and and the the people that follow him, William Steele and H. C. Kerr and and all of these names that I've named, they have that same kind of fighting spirit um, that we see in our country's history, right. right? We talk about that type of spirit with the revolution and with uh, getting gaining our freedom from England and, and all of these things. Uh, we see that spiritually happening in our denomination and in this church. And so they, they find a way to, to stay true to their faith right. in God, to that claim that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and they kind of work through, you know, all this stuff happens. Yeah, wars happen and conflict happens and your church gets burnt down. Right, and and they store horses in your sanctuary, but it's okay. Yeah, and you just, you have to meet in the tobacco building, and you know, (laughs) yeah, you just, you you go on. And I think it shows kind of the spiritual strength that they have of our founders, and that we get, you know, as I believe we get to share in their faith as our spiritual ancestors, Right. right? And so we get to use that in our own times of need and in our own, our own spirituality. So I agree with you. And I think that one thing that's important to highlight is definitely that even if they may not have 40 people, 30 people, okay, maybe they don't even have 10, but they have created, I think at this point they had around 20, but they have created a tight community and they never gave up on meeting other than whenever like it wasn't safe to be outside, but like they continued to meet, they continued to do things and to share communion. And they just created a, a community essentially. Like it is a community of faith. They didn't have trouble with that by any means, I don't think. But so I think their faith was definitely what carried them through. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, in, in the time period, the, the denomination is pushing, um, no creed, but Christ, right. It doesn't, your individual beliefs aren't as important as worshiping Jesus right. as your Lord and Savior. They're they're pushing um, the importance of Scripture, right? So this community would be gathered a lot, reading Scripture and praying to God and seeking Jesus's strength and guidance, right? And so they they're doing, I would assume they're doing at this time period uh, something that's radical radical, but they're doing with Jesus what we're kind of doing with them, right? They're right. finding strength in Christ's own 
uh, faith and in Christ's own example, right? I, I would imagine you meet together. Hey, did you see the fe- federal troops have horses in our church building? Yeah, right. well, remember the time they crucified <laughs> Jesus, right? And he right, had to deal, right. right? And so, you know, we're. I think all of history, we kind of find our roots in those that came before us and in right. that foundation. And so we're doing we're doing that with with some of these important people, uh, and we're thankful for um, all that they do. And as we go into the second part of this, we'll, we'll see how they all of these things that you're lifting up and that that we're naming this community, their faith, all of the strength they have, how that gets kind of rooted in what they do to get built up and become the church. Right. Um, you know one, that they are today. Yeah, that they are today, and that they were. You know. Um, years ago. so That's really interesting. So with all of that, be sure to check out the second part of our two-part series. We will have that up next month in November, so be on the lookout for that. We're going to go, what was the time frame? So that second part will be right after the Civil War up to right. kind of modern right. modern times. So. Modern time. So with that, be sure to look for that, and you can find that on all of our social medias and everything else. So with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you, Jada. Appreciate it.